Today's reading is from Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11. Do, not for, uh, <clears throat> do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, of, the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Amen. What, a, what an incredible passage. Um, and what we will find, I feel like, what a incredibly relevant passage for the day in which we live in it. In fact, these next two weeks, I feel like, are just so relevant to um, the season that we uh, are all living in, not just as a, as a church family, but as, as Christians in, in this world. I want to start with um, two questions uh, that I really think is, is the heart of this passage um, this first question is this, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You know, this, this word gospel, it's literally good news. It's speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ. But if someone came up to you and said, hey, I heard you go to so-and-so church, um, so-and-so. I heard you go to mission church to represent, right? Come on, Let, let's just start early. Amen? Amen. And they said, I know that there's this gospel talk. What is the gospel? How would you, what would you say to them? This passage, um, that last part where you can feel it, it gets very poetic. Some believe that that was an early church hymn that the Apostle Paul didn't even write. It was just, it, it was this hymn, and Paul is repeating it and, and reminding them, this is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus has done for you. So this passage just teaches us, reminded, reminds you and I, what is the gospel? But here's the other thing that it does, and it does it at the beginning, is it answers this question, what does it look like for you and I to live out the gospel? What does it look like for you and I to live out the gospel? Because we need to understand, we'll get knee deep, elbow deep into this next week, that, that, that the gospel is not just an invitation to believe, but an, but an invitation to live, an invitation to 
to not just believe the good news of what Christ has done for you, but an invitation for you to live that out in a way that literally has the power to change your life and all of the lives around you. In Romans 1, it says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. In other words, the gospel has power, power for your salvation, power for other people's salvation, power to change our lives. And so these first few verses give us a picture of what does it look like for you and I to live out the gospel? And so Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, I'll I'll read. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. In humility, count others as more. I literally underlined and circled that word in my Bible, more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Raise your hand if you have some interests in here. You have some interests. You have some desires. We are desire factories, are we not? So it's not downplaying that. Don't, don't just look to your own interests. I know you have them. But, but here's what I want you to do on top of that. Is look also to the interests of others. These two verses, in each verse there is a negative statement. Don't do that. Followed by a positive statement. Do that. And then verse, verse 4 does the same thing. It, negative statement that just kind of double down, doubles down on verse 3. Don't do this. Positive statement. Instead, do this. And, and I just want to take some of these phrases bit by bit. And, and, and the first one I want to point out is selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition. You you might read this and go, well, selfish ambition is that guy or gal, but probably the guy, right? Um, That is like, it's it's about me. My wants, my desires, my world, you just happen to be living in it, right? You know, basically every guy at the age of 16, right? Yeah? Uh huh. Any 16 year old, used to be 16 year old males that you're like, yeah, like that? for women, it just never happens, right? Um, but the reality is, is that that's actually, that's not quite the sense. It's selfish ambition here. It's a bit more subtle than that. In the Greek, it's literally a factious spirit. Just, just someone who wants to be heard because they know that they're right. They, 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 they want to be heard because they, they know that their opinion is spot on. Fractious spirit. And then Paul takes it further and he says, don't, don't, don't be like that. You, here's the thing. You might be right. Like that person might be right. That's what drives us nuts about these kind of people is like 90% of the time they actually are right. But 
they kind of want to keep it one-sided. It takes one to know one, guys, okay? So listen, I'm not judging those people here. I've walked this path. I'm like, guys, I know. So here's, here's the right opinion here. We're all growing in this, right? Again, only the men, right? Only the men. Maybe some women too. Fractious spirit. Paul shifts gears and says, okay, don't be like that. Don't be this fractious spirit. But instead, of walk in humility. Humility. What, what is humility? Humility, C.S. Lewis is probably the most quoted person in this because I think he gets it right. In fact, I think that he, he, he's really using the language of this verse right here. What is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking of le- less of yourself as, as in um, thinking less of your gifts or abilities or strengths or talents. You know, th- th- there are those people out there like, oh, no, I'm not that gifted. No, I'm not. That's not a strong area. And you're like, no, you are gifted in that. Now you, that's just false humility. True humility is the person who just not really thinking about themselves. It, it, it's the person, and, and you know these people, and, and I really believe that so many of you here, you walk in this. It, it, it's the person who, who just is constantly looking at the wants and the needs of others. It's the person who's asking, you know, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? How can I encourage you? It's the person that might not even ask that question. That, that They just are jumping on it and are instantly, I just want to serve you. It's the person that you're like, man, they need a break. They need a vacation. They're, they're the person you go up to and say, man, can we, can, can, can we give you some time? You need to really get some self-care. That's, that's the word of our century, is it not? At self-care, am I the only one who hears that? There's some truth to that. But when you say to this person, you just need some self-care, they're going to look at you and go, I'm doing fine. It, because they get so much joy from serving others. Paul says, well, walk in that. But, but here's this line that just struck me in a way that, that has maybe not struck me before. Count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant. Now I want to get to this next verse because I think it shines light on what is happening when he says count others more significant than yourselves. As he says, um, looking not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. And he's saying you have interests. You have desires. You have a heart that, 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 that truly wants some things. Don't just look at that. Look also to the interests of others. I've always looked at this verse and majored on verse 4. Look at the other people's interests. What is it that they want? What is it that they desire? I want to meet their interests. But I want us to see back in verse 3, Paul's like, but not just their interests, the very person. In other words, Paul doesn't say, count other people's interests as more important. No, he says, count them. That, that, that person, their heart, their, their emotions, their backstory, that, them, the person itself. Like just, okay, this is getting about ready to get weird, but that's okay. Just look around for a moment. 
Just look at, would you look at some people? Okay, all right, don't linger. You can wave if you want, that's also good. Those people are made in the image of God. They are actual people that God loves. And sometimes we can settle by just looking at their interests. No, look at them. What's going on? What's really going on in their hearts? Count them as more, more significant than yourselves. Um, I've just been wrestling with this passage because if someone could say, take the whole Bible, but you could only use one passage for Christians in this bewildering season we are in. Name the passage. What do Christians need most? I wonder if it's this passage, these two verses right here. Because we are filled with... Here's a question I've been asking myself. Maybe you've asked this question. I think I finally found the answer. And the question is this. Why is everybody... Why is everybody so fired up and emotionally charged about, let's just call it, COVID, masks, vaccines, mandates, uh, politics. We'll just keep it at that. I could probably list a few more. You could too. Why are we so emotionally charged about it? And I've been trying to think about, like, why is it? Why is it? And maybe you have a better answer, but here's what I just realized. I think we are so emotionally charged because we, we're just, we care about it. Like we're, like there, we feel, we feel these things deeply. Now, let's be honest, we're, we're getting encouraged to feel things deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So how do you do that? And, and so, danger zone here, going into the danger zone. I asked my wife this. I said, do you think it's okay if I go here? She's like, okay. Let's just bring this at our church level. So we're, it's clear. We are in a very unique season as a church. I'm sharing, we have a members meeting for our members after this service. And one of the things I'm saying is the whole church, Big C Church, in the world, but particularly our nation, is in a season it's never, ever been in ever in over 2,000 years since the beginning. Lucky us. But in a sense, that's actually maybe a pretty incredible gift. Here's one of the markers that we're seeing is, is church in-person attendance. This is just in-person. In-person attendance right now, at least when I read this statistic, this was two weeks ago when I read this, in-person in person attendance in churches is 31% of what it was um, February of 2020. Not 31% less, 31%. So that, that's just kind of the season we're in. And, and there's so many other nuances to it. But 
when you look, he, here's what I've experienced as, as, the, as, as the pastor. We have people in our church that are struggling to come into person and just not all together because they don't want to wear masks. They just don't. It's a real issue for them. You have other people in our church um, that just don't feel comfortable to come in person um, and, and want to continue to engage online. Okay. Then you have people in our church who um, just really struggle anytime, you know, this, this happens from time to time. I feel like we as a church have done a really good job at this for the most part. But there's people in our church who truly struggle. Man, why does that person let their, you know, mask drop down their nose or, or you know, drop down their mouth? Really, really, it's a real struggle. And then you have other people that this week I was, there was someone in a church who had literal tears in his eyes just going, it is, it is so hard for me to, to be wearing a mask, to have my kids wear a mask. And here I am, I'm the pastor and I'm hearing all of these things and it's like, God, what do I do? God, what do we do because... Each, each, you know, quote-unquote group, if you will, they feel these things deeply, right? And there's a sense in, in which, and let's be honest, there's a sense in which we just want to go, make it black and white, and just, just deal with it, right? And, mo- and, and some of us, we've tried that, and then, and, 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 and so here's, here's my wrestling is, so what's the right thing to do? I just gave four different groups. There's about five other different groups too that are somewhere, allware in between. So what, what do you say to this? What do you do? And I think the apostle Paul would say, you know what the right thing to do is? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count Others more significant than yourself. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is one of those sermons that I had to stew on all week. And that's a really good thing. But it's also like, I feel things so deeply and it can be exhausting sometimes. And if you feel like I feel... You're feeling this. Well, that feels impossible. That, that, that feels impossible. That feels like I have to give twice as much, maybe ten times as much as, as I'm going to receive. This feels like I, I just, I disagree so strongly. What am I supposed to do? I, I just, this this scene, this feels impossible. Am I the only one who, who and, and, and we can just talk about our own church here, but, but even the Starbucks barista or walking through the grocery store, doesn't this feel really, really hard? And it is impossible. And I think that's why Paul says this and says, hold up, wait till I get to verse five. 
have this mind, it's literally mindset. Have the mindset of verse 3 and verse 4 among yourselves, which is yours. It's yours in Christ Jesus. That Jesus is both the picture and the power to do this. And, and just, there's still a sense, and, and I, I'm going to try my best to say this, there's still a sense in which you're like, but what about us as a church? Like, you know, can you give me something more specific than just verse 3 and verse 4? Like, we want that, right? And I, here's what I would just say. I was going to say this in the member meeting. I thought, well, even better. I'll just say it to a larger crowd. For those of you who it is a real struggle for you to wear a mask or a real struggle for your kids to wear a mask, thank you from the bottom of my heart that you are laying down that liberty. That, that, because you could go, I know other churches that you could go and just drop it down, free at last, free at last, right? There is, and, and we've lost people. We've lost people in our church that are going to different churches because of that. And so I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. There's moments where I've not done it perfect myself. And so I apologize for that. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, it's not just a respect to, to those around you where it is a struggle, but also, um, you know, one of the things that this church said is they said, hey, would you please follow the current guidelines? Now, I know where this church is at, and I know that they're not expecting some sort of um, militant is a really, it, it feels like that's an exaggeration, but, but this idea of like, nobody can break this rule, and if, and if you don't, like you need to call them out in every moment. I know that, I know that that's not their heart. And so, thank you for laying down that liberty. I pray that this is a short season, and it's hard. It, it's hard for me, I'll say it. It's really hard for me really hard but I'm desperate for community um, and for those of you who it is a big deal like please wear your mask like that you're one you're you fall into that I just I would say give grace give grace when when it drops down below the nose or the mouth and just know as a pastor I'm gonna try my best to be pastoral in this and and encourage us to continue walking this and, and that doesn't settle all of it, right? And that's why we need verses three and four. Like, guys, we are going to be up in heaven. I love that song where it just, the song we sang about, we're going to be at the ocean shore of heaven. And we're going to look back and maybe standing next to that person. And, and, and none of us will be wearing masks. So like, let's get yeah, right, right. But you're going to be up there and be like, guy, what were, why? Maybe you'll apologize or we both apologize. But this is a season and it's a really hard one. And that we would walk in verse 3 and verse 4. And I believe that all, all we are... We are doing this really, really well, too. I do want to say that. So this is more reinforcing your guys' faithfulness. But there's still a sense where you're going to leave this place and you're going to go into a workplace and it's going to be hard for you, right? You're going to go into a workplace 
and you're being required to get a vaccine and you don't want to get one. Or maybe you're the person who is like, no, I, I really feel like it's safer for people to get vaccine. So I want them to get vaccine and they're not vaccine and they're like two places down from me. So like we're all over the camp. So there's a sense in which this is not just hard in the local church. In fact, I think it's the easiest where this gets really, really difficult is in the workplace and, and being mandated and asked to do something that, that you won't. Want, don't want to do or being asked um, or p- people aren't walking faithfully in that and you want to like you get it right like nobody's on the same page here like we cats out of the bag like we all know that right so th- it's it's going to get hard when you leave here it's going to get hard on monday and we thought like we finally saw the finish line to this i think it's only going to get more difficult it's hard Right? So what do we do? It feels impossible. We have the same mindset as Christ. Well, what's the mindset of Christ? What is the heart of the gospel? And we get to verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And it tells us both the picture and the power of how you and I walk in this really hard invitation to serve others and to love others and to put others first and to give way more than we are receiving. How do we do this? We be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Let's read. Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God. Let's just stop there. The form of God. It's literally saying, though Jesus is God. So I made this rhyme. I'm really proud of this. If there's a main idea today, here here is the main idea. Jesus is God. Jesus became man. Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose again. That's the flow of this. Jesus is God. Jesus has always been God. When he was born in a manger, that's not when he became God. He was God for all of eternity. Why is that important? Two reasons. There's probably a hundred or more. I'll give you two. First is this. Why is it important? Because it's true. And truth is really important. Second reason why it's important. Because if we don't understand who Jesus is, we don't understand what Jesus has done for us. If we don't understand who Jesus is, we don't understand what incredible lengths he went for you to come to salvation. And by the way, all of you, I hope, got a book on a seat. Maybe there's a row or two that does not have a book. Steal it from the other row. That book right there, I call it, uh, that book is a hug from Jesus. Like you will, 24 hugs because there's 24 chapters. Read that book. It's incredible. It talks so much about just the heart of the gospel, the heart that Christ has for you. But verse 6, the beginning says, Jesus is God. And Jesus is God. And it says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Now, 
He doesn't empty himself of his divinity. The idea here is not what he empties himself of, is what he is emptying himself into. Jesus becomes fully God and fully man. Did you know that Jesus is still fully God, fully man? He has, he ha- he has hands like you and I. He's got some, some nail marks through his hands and through his feet and in his side to remind you and I that he did not grasp the glory that was his and the glory he deserved. He did not say it's all about blessing me. It's all about my wants and my desires. Well, actually, it is about his wants and desires. He wants and desires you. And so what we see here is that Jesus becomes man. He lays aside and does not grasp His authority, His divinity, His glory. But He empties Himself into becoming fully man. Because He loves you. He did that for you. He is not a grasper. He is a giver. We need to be reminded that our Savior is a risen Savior who is at the right hand of God interceding you for you, we also need to understand that our Savior was a crucified Savior who still has the nail marks and, and still has it, the, 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 the piercing in his side as a reminder that, you know what? Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom of many And that's who we follow. Why would we think that our lives would look any different than that? Let me tell you some incredibly good news about the season we are in. Talk about this next week, so I don't want to go too deep. But I just want to say, never seen it darker. I've never seen people this angry. Talk to you, talk, just talk to people. Ask them how they're doing. I was talking to a Starbucks barista. How are you doing? I'm all right. How come just all right? It just feels like every other customer is just angry. And you are a light. The darker it gets, the brighter. The gospel shines. The darker it gets, the more costly it will be. Are we up to not just lay down our preferences and to give grace radically, but are we up to laying down our lives itself? I'm reading this book uh, by this missionary. Oh, it is so powerful. You guys need to read missionary biographies. It's just just such a reminder that we are all called to be missionaries. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon says, uh, what is the exact quote? Uh, Every Christian is either a a missionary or an imposter. (laughs) You choose. But this missionary is about ready to go into Somaliland in the 90s. 
and there's a good chance he could get killed. And so him and his wife sit down with their kids, and I think that they're about the age of my kids, and they say, kids, a long time ago, we felt God called us to live our lives for Jesus, to live for Jesus. And so we are, we are, we are all in on that. That's why we're on the mission field, because we feel called to live for Jesus. But now we're feeling like Jesus is asking us if we're willing to die for Jesus. Are we willing to lay this down? You're going to have a lot of opportunities to do that. Jesus is God. Jesus became man. Jesus died on the cross. Look at, look at this. Because it doesn't, doesn't just say Jesus died. Let's look carefully at this. It says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That is literally a slave in the Greek. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Nobody humbled Jesus. Nobody said go up on the cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus does not die in a hospice with morphine drip or friends holding his hand. He humbles himself and is obedient to death, even death on the cross. I'm reading this book right now. It's called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. So let me tell you all 50. No, just, just. <laughs> let me just give you three. Jesus, I want you to notice, he does not meet us halfway, right? He comes all the way down. Why does he die for us? Because listen, God is God. He can bring you, sal- to bring you to salvation any way he wants. Why murder God the Son, to cancel the debt of your sin. Your debt, your sin, is a debt. It costs God to pay for it. You don't believe that? Next time someone sins against you, really sins against you, try forgiving them and realize how much it costs for you to forgive them. And so uh, Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses passages in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, he nailed it to the cross. Those nails didn't just go through Jesus's hands Jesus is not just dying up there to die. He is becoming sin. So that you and I could be the righteousness of God. Why else did Jesus have to die on the cross? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have. We will accept both translations. Everlasting life or eternal life. To give you eternal life. Why else did he die on the cross? This is the one I wanted to get to. Hebrews 2.18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Listen, because Jesus died on the cross so that he is your help and that he is 
He's able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Somebody speaks against you. Just be reminded, Jesus, they did that to you. Someone goes after your character. That's right, Jesus, they went after that too. Someone tries to physically hurt you. Yeah, they did that to you too, Jesus. He's able to sympathize. Jesus is God. Jesus became man. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. Our Savior is a risen Savior, alive, well, at the right hand of God, interceding for you. I close my eyes and I think of that often. Jesus, you're interceding for me. And so it says, and him also, you were circumcised with the circumcision made, or excuse me, got so excited, back to Philippians here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and and you guys can play behind me as I just close out and read these verses. He says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So notice that, that when we humble ourselves, he exalts us. This is the gospel. He highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is in heaven, on earth. Where's under the earth? It's speaking of hell. And every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, one day we are all going to confess Jesus as Lord. Why don't we just start One day in heaven, one day, we're going to stand before Jesus. (laughs) Not long, we're going to kneel before Jesus. And with joy in our hearts, we're going to say, You are Lord. You are everything. You are better than everything. Oh, and it's just going to be the greatest moment. Why not start now? Why not start now? God, you are so good. God, we we need our hearts changed, not just our actions, not just our motives. We need hearts. We need hearts that reflect you, Jesus. And we know that it's going to mean giving a lot more than grasping. It's going to mean serving a lot more than being served. It's going to mean laying down our lives. It's going to be hard. But God, you told the church, make them one because they are one. And and Lord, I just, I I said this to my wife. I said, I can stand. I can stay standing as long as you just keep holding me up. And Lord, we can stand as long as we hold each other up in the gospel. And so, Lord, as we sing these songs, as we take communion, we just want to say you are Lord and we want to make you Lord in our lives. Would you allow the rest of our time of worship to make much of your name? We pray all of this and everybody said, let's stand, let's worship our King.